Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Joined this morning, uh, just the two of us this morning, Kirk. Joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Uh, it is a beautiful Saturday morning. So uh, we'll get you some good info and then get you on with the rest of your day. How does that sound? Uh, So today, Kirk and I are going to talk about, um, we're calling it election jitters. Uh, I I personally don't have election jitters, but I'm sort of entertaining a lot of conversations with people in the last weeks, months about nerves surrounding volatility in the market, particularly uh, related to the election, but also, of course, the ongoing uh, health pandemic. So um, I just wanted to talk about sort of some random um, market-related, time in the market-related type stuff, just hoping to... Um, just get information out there to people that might be feeling the same way as some of our clients are feeling these days. I mean, of course, people are, are worried about lots of different things. Um, people have, you know, perhaps time to worry and think about it where they didn't have as much in the past. And so sort of these things coupled together are, um, are to, I just think issues and to be addressed and discussions to be had with your financial professional. So, um, anything to add to that, Kirk? Or well, <clears throat> have any brilliant ideas on the right end? Just, um, 
I just wanted to say, you know, we, as far as this goes, you know, we, but we really don't want to get into, into politics per se. Um, right. You know, we want to just talk about kind of, you know, financials related to, you know, historical election uh, results and things like that. And, and, you know, what, what this coming election may or may not, um, you know, due to the market, although obviously those are just, those are just guesses, right? You know, talking about the future, Um, but we can, you know, certainly look at historical data um, surrounding election years. And, um, but yeah, we, yeah, because we're not, you know, this is certainly not a political show. We don't want to go there. Uh, And so we certainly, we certainly don't want, we, you know, we always, we always like like to get callers, but we don't want to, you know, we really don't want anybody calling into, you know, get into the, the weeds of, uh, of politics. Um, oh, I have no interest in that. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. <laughs> yeah, I just well, because I know because that's, that's yeah, it's a hot topic, yeah. and people cool. people are very passionate about uh, that that, and um, so we, you know, we. I just want to say, you know, we love getting callers, but you know, we really that's not that's not the that's not the uh, the intent of this particular show or, or or any of our shows for that matter. I know, yeah. Um, all right, so I thought we could sort of start by talking about. Um, let's just start we've talked about this I think a lot in the last six months or so but I just thought we could start about talking about this idea that a lot of people have that getting in and out of the market at what they think is opportune times um, I just wanted to talk about again how how difficult slash impossible that is to do successfully on a recurring basis. Certainly there have been people that have done it here or there, gotten lucky. They might say they were, you know, smart. I would say maybe, maybe, but maybe you got lucky. Um, So I just wanted to sort of talk about that, this whole idea of trying to time the ups and the downs in the market and just sort of start with that. And and then the rest of the show kind of segue into the rest of the show from there. So Um, just like just in general, I mean, it's very, you know, looking back in the markets, uh, all this historical data, right? Hindsight's 2020, you know, looking back, it's really easy to look at those charts and say, oh, you know, I felt, I really felt like in January 29, I'm sorry, 2020, uh, that the market was at a high. It should have gotten out, um, you know, to avoid that, that dip that we had starting in February. I mean, that, 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 that stuff is easy to say when you're looking backwards. Um, but I can remember economists, you know, investors, number one, clients, but also economists, like back in, 2014, 2015, 2016, like, the, you know, when we were, you know, at that time, we were five, six, seven years into this recovery from the Great Recession and the credit crisis, you know, five, six, seven years is a historically very long bull market. Bull markets are the good ones. And I mean, I so I can remember people feeling like the markets were at a high like five or six years ago. And 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 then the market can, you know, we had some bumps like in 15 and a couple little bumps, a little bump in 18 at the fourth quarter there, but nothing really to speak of until this calendar year. So like, you know, I, it, it all, it, there are lots of times when it feels like, um, you know, there's certainly statistical measures of the, the markets being overvalued, um, you know, price to earnings ratios and things like that. But, you know, and but but, but it, which is the case right now, again, with the U.S. market by many measures. But um, but that was also the case like four or five years ago. And then we and we continue to have to have a great run 
since then. So it's just, um, it, it's just really hard to time these things. Yeah. And, and I can actually remember, I actually um, knew someone at the time um, who's no longer a client, lovely, lovely person, but just uh, wasn't a fit for whatever reason. And, and um, I can remember at the time that person being uh, feeling like that, like, like the market is, um, you know, it, it's at a high, this was probably five years ago. And, and this person felt better getting out of the market because actually this was four years ago. Now that I think about it prior to the last uh, presidential election and um, it, it, and don't forget at that time, we're coming off of the recovery from the great recession and um, you know, performance, you know, we needed a little bit of time for performance to get back within those, you know, range of long-term expectations. But this particular person felt just more comfortable being out of the market. And so what happens is if you, if it feels like that time to get out of the market and if you're wrong and the market continues to do well for a month, six months, a year, a year and a half, two years, how long do you wait? If you're out of the market waiting for that correction that you feel like is coming, how long do you wait before you get back in, right? right. And, and and what did you miss in terms of, mar uh, market appreciation or your portfolio appreciation in that period of time. So I can just remember a very clear example of this happening. And in this particular example, this person, you know, didn't want to be in the market and, you know, and then we're, and then we're waiting and waiting and, you know, and just this person got to this point where then what do you do? Do you get back in? And what if you get back in and then the next week it declines and then, you know, you missed a good run and then, and then you have your decline when you're in the market, right? So it's just these things are their <clears throat> timing of the markets is just so easy to like look back and say, I'm sorry, timing the markets is not easy. That's not what I meant. But I meant looking back at what the markets have done. It's kind of easy to say, oh yeah, did I should have done that. And I knew that was going to happen. Um, but so just, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't want to go on and on for two hours about this, but <laughs> I just, just the quick example of this most recent uh, beer market that we had from February to March of this year. Um, if you had gotten, so, so just for example, if you had, um, what, what some people think that they're going to do, right? The people that think that they're going to time the markets properly, this is what they're thinking in their mind, right? I'm gonna get out now, the market's gonna go down and they'll either get back in when the market's down so that they can ride it up or they wait for it to bottom out and then it rides back up and recovers and then they get back in. So then they missed the the down market and the stress related to that. And then they're gonna get back in when things ride, you know, continue riding up again, right? So that's, and, and if you could predict the markets, that would be a great strategy. So, but what if you did that? What if someone did that this past February, right? Like what if the market, the S&P back in February topped out, I wanna say it was like February 19th. I'm measuring it by the S&P 500. The Dow was like a few days off, I think. Um, what if someone had done that? Um, maybe there's even someone listening who did that, right? Who I'm, I'm sure. Who, I'm sure. I'm sure people did that. Yeah. yeah. What, but what if you had? What if there was someone that had timed it perfectly on like February oh, 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 timed it perfectly. I don't know about that. Yeah. I don't even know if that was a weekday. Um, if they got either lowered risk or got out of the markets. And, and then we proceeded to have this, you know, the S&P from February 19th 
of this year to March 23rd of this year. It was a pretty crazy five weeks market. The S&P was down 34% in that period of time. Very steep, short uh, bear market. If someone had done that and they you know, got out right before February 19th and then the market declined, great. But really, in order for that strategy to work, one of two things. One, they either get back in when the market's like at the bottom. Again, I- impossible to predict, predict that with, with accuracy, at least on a recurring basis. The market bottomed out this past year on March 23rd. And um, that was... 11, I'm sorry, 13 days. March 23rd was, yeah, 12 or 13 days after the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. And it was 10 days after the United States declared it a national emergency. So my point is, in what world is someone feeling, that person that was nervous and got out of the market to miss a decline, in what world are they feeling really great about getting their portfolio back in when we have a global pandemic as declared by the World Health Organization? I actually didn't research this, but when was the last time we had a global pandemic? Like, I, My point is, why, how, how in the world is that person feeling comfortable getting back in, right? So the strategy doesn't, um, the people that are nervous and getting out are not going to be the people that are comfortable getting back in. But in order for that strategy to work, you have to get back in before the markets are higher than they were when you got back out. So, okay, but but in, I guess also another measure of someone trying to time the markets and being successful with it would be someone that missed the downturn, allowed the, the markets to recover from there and then got back in, right? So if the, if someone, and, and that would be like, you're really actually no better off if you do that than the person that stays in the market. Like if you get back in, so let me just give you some, I'll give some, some dates here. So again, the market, this past bear market, topped out about March 19th, bottomed out about March 23rd. And then if we fast forward to, August 12th of this year, the S&P 500 was, I, I believe, um, I might be off a day or two or something, but but I believe on August 12th, the, the S&P had, was basically exactly where it was when it started the decline on February 19th. So that would be like February 19th to August 12th was like, you totally missed the dip and you're back and you could get back in, right? So this person who was trying to time these things in the market, could have gotten out in January, February, and then they get back in when they think that they missed, uh, they missed the the bear market, they missed the V-shaped dip, right? The dip and then the recovery. And then they get back in. So somebody that did that thinks that they missed the dip, right? And now, of course, we have continuing global pandemic and, and elections and stuff like that, and and now a president that had you know tested positive for COVID nineteen, and and so the person that did that and got back in when the S and P had fully recovered, thinking that we're going to have more, you know, that we're going to have growth in the markets, and I missed the dip. Well, guess what? We're actually the S and P is actually lower now. We we actually had we had a little bit of growth after August twelfth. And now we've had another dip. So that person that got back in, we're actually lower in the markets now than we were 
back on August 12th. So it's just, it's just so hard. It's, it's, it's impossible to time these things with any accuracy. And I just wanted to like open up the show by again, um, talking about that. And, and it's just, you know, one of we have, I have some other number. I, I was like in a numbers mood today, I guess I, I, uh, I guess I'm always in a numbers mood, but I, I just want, I have some other things to go over regarding time in the market and some, some return information historical to talk about that. But I just wanted to sort of open up the show by, by just illustrating like how it just sounds so great in theory. I'm just going to, I'll get out and I'll miss the market. But if you're wrong, and then we have another literally three to five years of growth in the market, you're just, you're missing, you're, you can just miss significant growth and you need that growth to, to offset a prior or a future down market. Your time in the market, I think it was Nick Murray, who's like an iconic advisor. He's like, he's just an iconic professional in our world. Um, I have a quote of his on my wall and he said, timing the market is a fool's errand. Time in the market is your greatest natural advantage. Um, so I have some more data to go over. I just didn't know if you wanted to add anything before I well on the some t- yeah on the Nick Murray front yeah the the quote that I remember was you know it some, something to this effect so I guess it's not official quote because I'm I'm paraphrasing but it was um, you know in in order to get a market return you need to be in the market and yeah. I, I always like that yeah. one um, and you know and one of the you know one of the other things that that, that you didn't that you didn't mention so not not only is it the you know you know, the share prices, right? You know, you know, if you get out a certain point, you know, pri- you know, shares are a certain price. If you get back in, if they're the same price, okay, that's a net zero. But not only that, but if you're out of the market, you're missing the dividends, you know? So like in your example, you know, from February to August, all right, well, that's six months of potential dividends that you're, that you've, that you missed, you know, if you're not invested, you know, that, so if, you know, that's both from stock funds, you know, bond interest, you know, whatever it is that you're invested in. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're going to cash, or something, you know, there's, there's no return on cash these days. And so you're basically, you know, that's, that's another, that's another loss, you know, and, and, you know, not only is that, you know, potential income, you know, that you're missing out on in the form of dividends, but, you know, if you're, if you're at the stage in life where you're, you know, reinvesting, you know, you, you would have been buying, you know, more shares, uh, when those share prices were down. And so that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's compounding a bad decision. Um, you know, um, not to, you know, not to, you know, bust anybody's chops, but that's, you know, that's, that's make you know, that's making, you know, what's, what's probably, you know, potentially a, a poor decision e- even worse by, um, by missing out on, on that aspect. Um, and going back to what you were saying about, you know, if you, if you get out because you think things are, are high, um, and one of the, one of the terms that I think one of our clients used several years ago, maybe back in, I forget when this was back in, you know, 2006, 2007, maybe before the 2008, all that stuff. Um, I think the term that they used was uh, toppy. Uh, they were like, they were like, the market feels a little toppy. <laughs> and I always thought that was funny. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, if you, if you get out and, uh, you know, to your point, if, if you get out and, and let's say you do time it, you know, fairly well, you know, near the top of a market and, uh, but, you know, and maybe the market takes a little bit of a dip, uh, but then it, but then it recovers fairly quickly and it goes on, you know, for, 
two, three, four years, whatever it may be, and you and you continue to sit on the sidelines in cash or something very conservative that's you know not keeping up with inflation. And you know, in order to make that work, I mean, really, the only way to make that work potentially is you have to buy back in at a at a significantly lower uh, share price, which you know, timing that is going to be virtually impossible. Well, perfectly timing it is virtually impossible. I mean, yes, if you can if you can buy back in at a lower price point, that might work. But you have to factor in the number of years that you sat out, uh, and then you have to add that into your return because that's you know that's two three years whatever it may be at at zero return or one percent per year return. And if you add that into your overall return over you know over a ten year period or whatever it may be, and that reduces your return dramatically, then you know was it worth it? Probably not. Um, you, you know you, you probably ended up. Um, you know, doing worse, much worse uh, than, than if you just stay put. And that's, and that's, you know, always the point that we're trying to drive home is, um, you know, it, you know, 99% of the time, you know, staying put is, is going to, is going to work better than, you know, trying to, trying to time it. And I also just wanted to bring up the point that, you know, I was talking a little bit ago about like, that, you know, if, if someone could perfectly time it and they get out before the market, drops and they get back in at the bottom or somewhere near the bottom. But really when markets are doing well and we're at the top of, you know, it's over time, there's always like a new and a new high and a new and a new high. And then, you know, it's over time. That's, that's what you want. You want the market to just over long periods of time, just do better and better on your money and your invested dollars grow over time with, with, Appreciation. That's what you want. You you always want the market to be reaching new highs. Um, and when that's happening and when the markets are doing great, there's very few people that want to get out. You know, it's just like, oh, what? This, this is great. I'm making money. It's so easy to make money at, you know, eight or 10 or 15, 20%. You know, it's just, it's, it's nobody really wants to get out at that time other than they're, if it's feeling toppy, as you said, and, and they're trying to speculate what's going to happen. But really what the time at which people want to get their money out of the market is when it's already down, right? You know, they've, they've reached, you know, they reached high after high after high in the value of their money. That's what we want over time it to grow. Right. And then when it starts going down and we're having a bad market, that's when people want to get out. Right. But, but really that's even worse when we talk even worse and even more difficult than when we talked about at the beginning of the show, because if you're because at that time you're selling your securities while they're already down in value, um, and again, so it's and 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 then that person that's nervous when things are down is not the same person that's going to be comfortable get getting back in when it's even more down, right? So again, in order like if we're if your portfolio is already down in value temporarily. But if it's already down, you know, some people focus on it as a loss. But if you didn't sell and make it permanent, it's not a loss. It's a t it's a downward fluctuation. If you're already down in value and you're going to get out of the market in order for that strategy to work, work, you have to get back in when the market is lower. Otherwise, there's no reason to get out of the market, because if you get out when it's down and then it goes down further and then it recovers and then it's better, you're going to get back in when it's better. And then you that, and then that was worse for your portfolio than just staying in the market. So, again, in order for that, 
I'm nervous. My portfolio is down. I want to sell. I want to go to cash. I want to do something safe. In order for that strategy to work, you have to have the, the, the emotional strength to get back in when the market is even lower. And the people that are panicking are not the people that have that emotional strength. So that's why time in the market, while sometimes uncomfortable, is, is, is an advantage for you and it's important. We're gonna take a quick break. We have lots more to talk about, about time in the market and, and adjusting your goals and stuff like that regard, uh, as a result of markets. Uh, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're just taking a quick break and we're gonna come right back. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Uh, we are talking about some market-related stuff today. Uh, election jitters, uh, timing the market, what to do, what not to do, um, stuff like that. So if you're listening on the South Shore and you have questions for us, happy to answer questions and take this show really in any direction you want. 781-837-4900. But in in absence of that, um, we're going to move on with some of the uh, data that I was researching this morning regarding historical returns. I think this is pretty interesting. So sort of opened up the show by talking about um, just this whole concept of timing the market. It's sort of like the... uh, it's sort of like those words you don't say. Like it's kind of funny when we talk to um, clients and they kind of are asking these questions about, you know, should we be doing something? Should I be get it, getting more conservative? Whatever. And and it's like they don't want to use the term timing the market because they're they know like they're not supposed to and it's a bad term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of funny. But it's 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 not. It's it's just a concept that that is. I think it's literally just human nature. It's human nature to want to try to do this, but. Um, you know, history has proven that it's it's uh, impossible uh, with any accuracy ongoing. And people have, sure have done it here and there, but um, ongoing, it's impossible to do it with accuracy. So anyway, I think yeah, um, I think I think uh, well, at least I, I thought at some point we could do it now or later. But I was thinking, you know, we could talk about uh, time frame, and I think maybe that's something you mentioned that maybe we could go into. Um, you know, time horizon, time frame. And, you know, one, and one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, people look at, I think people, I think, um, you know, uh, human nature, whatever it is, people tend to kind of focus on, um, you know, recent returns. Um, sometimes they lose sight of, you know, long-term, you know, long-term returns. And they're, you know, they're always kind of concerned with, well, what's happened lately and, or, you know, what's going to happen, you know, near term, you know, going forward. And, you know, so a lot of times, you know, we, you know, we try to provide perspective. And I think that's, I think that's a big part of our job is providing perspective and saying, you know, when we, you know, help somebody or, or put together a, you know, an investment strategy, the strategy isn't, isn't designed to perform, you know, over a six month period of time or, right. or, or a one year period of time, you know, it's, it's designed to, to hopefully work over a long period of time. And, and yes, you know, there will be little, little changes and tweaks that are, that are done, you know, over time, but, you know, it, it's really these these are they're long term strategies. You know, and it's they're not they're not supposed to be, you know, completely 
changed, uh, you know, every six months or, or every 12 months. Um, that's not, that's not the intent. And, you know, and along those lines, you know, we talked about, you know, earlier about time in the market and about, you know, from, you know, February, you know, February, you know, the high, uh, you know, you know, down, you know, down to the, you know, the low in, in, um, in March, uh, you know, that was about a 30, 30%, uh, mm-hmm. decline, you know, in the S and P 500, I think it was about 32%, you know, from top to bottom, um, over, over, you know, a one month period of time, which is, you know, very, um, you know, very drastic. Um, but I was like, okay, so I looked back and, you know, so if we look back over the past 12 months, you know, so October 4th of 2019 through October 2nd, 2020. All right. So the past 12 months, the S&P 500 has, has earned almost 13 and a half percent over the past 12 months. And, and if you include dividends, it's about 17%. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. That's another, yeah. Right. Another component of, you know, total return is right. You know, cap, you know, price appreciation plus, plus dividends, but just the market itself has gone up 13% over the past 12 months. And that includes, you know, somewhere along the way, there was, there was a, there was a drop of 32%. But, you know, if you didn't do anything and you just, and you just closed your eyes, well, okay. I made 13% the last 12 months. Um, and that's, and that's historically the way it's worked. Um, and that just goes back to the, you know, you got time in the market um, is what is what produces results. You know, getting in and getting out um, typically does not do you any favors. Um, and you have to you have to have a, a longer term perspective um, to. To, to make that work and, and, and not, you know, if, you, if you're ultra focused on short term results, you're going to be constantly, you know, worrying about that, thinking about that, you know, tinkering with your portfolio and, you know, nine times out of 10, it's not going to produce better results than, than just, you know, sticking with, you know, the original strategy. Um, so that I like was that word tink- tinkering. Tinkering, okay. So that was one, you know, that was one thought that I had regarding, you know, time frame is just, you know, you know, having perspective on, you know, you can't just look at, you know, year to date or calendar year because those, you know, the market doesn't care about, you know, where we are, you know, what what the year is or whatever. The market just does its thing, and, you know, it's going to and it's going to go up over time. Uh, but it's not it's not designed to do the same thing every year or every 6 months or whatever. You can't you can, you know, you can't worry about what did I do this quarter or, or, or this, you know, or this month. It's just, if you think about that stuff, if you get worried about that stuff, it's, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna ruin you as a, as an investor. Um, because, because the market just does not go up in a straight line, uh, you know, like, like your bank account does. And that's something you have to, something you have to be okay with, um, in order, in order to be a successful investor in my opinion. And bank accounts don't even go up in a straight line these days. Well, they, they're kind of flat, I guess. <laughs> um, so I have some more, I have some more, so along that line, I have some more perspective for people. So I went back and look at the, looked at the last two bear markets that we've had, uh, which was 07 to 09 and 00 to 02. So, <clears throat> and I just think, I think these numbers are really cool. So from, Roughly uh, like mid October of 2007 through, um, yeah, through March of 2009, that was 
the bear market that we refer to as the credit crisis or like the beginning of the, or like the, the great recession. So from, so that was like a year and a half, October 07 to March of 09, the market was down the, as measured by the S&P 500, 53% from top to bottom. That's not annualized. That's just 53% from top to bottom. That was a very, that was a pretty long and deep uh, market. So if we, I went back and I measured, so if someone had stayed in the S&P 500 from October 16th of 07, which was the top of the, of the, not the most recent bear market, but the one prior to that. So from October of 2007 through present, if they had stayed in the S&P 500 the entire time, so that's like a pretty bad time at which to measure, a bad time at which to measure performance is the start of a bear market. That's like the worst time you can start a performance measure is the, is the very beginning of a bear market. And actually an even worse time is the very beginning of a bear market to the very uh, end of the next bear market, right? That, that's pretty bad. But, and I have both of those numbers. So S&P 500 return from October 16th of 07 to present is about 8.45% per year. That's great. It's like slightly lower than really long time uh, returns for the large US stocks, but that's pretty good. I mean, I, I, I think most people would be pretty happy with an eight and a half percent per year as measured by the top of a really bad market that started in 2007 and ended in 2009. And then another really bad market that we just had this year, of course, a recovery from it, but that's not bad. Now, like wait, I said, wait, I, an wait, even I, worse I, time to measure performance is top of that, uh, the credit crisis, the very beginning of the credit crisis market to March of 2020, which is the bottom of, I don't know, what are we calling this market? The, the, co the COVID bear market? I don't, I don't even know what we're calling it yet. Does it have a name yet? I don't know. Okay, we're gonna call it the COVID market. Um, so from 10, 16, 7 S&P 500 annual return through March 24th of 20, which again is a really crappy time to measure long-term performance, but it is 11 years, so it's, I'm sorry, 13 years, so it's pretty long-term. Uh, still six and a half percent per year. That's pretty good considering inflation was really low for that period of time, probably less than 2% on average in that period of time. So what, what I mean is if you had invested your money in October of 07, historically a crappy time to throw money in the market because then we had a really bad market for the next year and a half. Things were expensive. And if, and it, right, and if you pulled it out in March of, of uh, of 2020, which I hope you didn't, but if you had, you still would, which is a which was a horrible time to pull money out of the market. Um, you still would have had a six and a half percent per year return, again as measured by the S and P 500. That's pretty good. Um, so that's a little perspective. And then I went back even further. So you know, like in our world, long term performance is you know really I sort of explain it to clients as like long term performance is really. We need to get through market cycles. We need to get through like a peak and a trough and then back to like where we started, right? So you have to get through the good markets and the bad markets and that's really a market cycle. Um, so eight, 10, 12 years, these things can be really long. We just had a really long market cycle. Um, so then if I go back to the, 
the 20 years ago, the bear market, that was the tech bubble that started in September of 2000 um, and went all the way through October of 2002. So that was a long one. Um, the the S&P 500 back then, September of 2000 to October of 2002 was down 47%. That's not annualized, that was just top, uh, top to bottom. Um, if someone, so again, let's measure like a 20-ish, like a 20-year performance number, long period of time in the market, but again, a horrible time to pull performance data, 20-year performance data. Like if you think about, you know, in our world, we report performance on rolling periods of time. So we'll always have like a rolling 10-year return and a rolling five-year return. And these things change because every day that, that rolling return is different, a little bit different. Um, so right now, rolling 12-year returns are pretty, I'm sorry, excuse me, rolling 20-year returns are pretty crappy compared to long-term averages because we're starting that performance reporting at the beginning of the tech bubble, which was an, an awful market a couple decades ago. But again, the S&P 500, if we measure performance during this crappy time, crappy rolling 20 years, September, I just did September 1st, um, September of 2000 to present, which is just north of 20 years, the S&P 500 still returned 6.7% per year. So that's pretty good in light of that period of time where we had three uh, that's like bookended bad markets, right? It, the, my next number is really the the worst the worst twenty year period of time, um, but that that's like we had you're starting your performance measure at a really awful time, and then you had a pretty another bad bear market in the middle, and then we just recovered from a bear market. So you know, really long term returns for the S and P, and that depends on how long you're measuring, but like what 10 11 percent per year so that's less than than long-term averages for this rolling 20 years but still given the the, the measure that the time at which we're measuring related to when bear markets have sat that's not bad right so that's a, that was a pretty yeah so a pretty a bad time to to track performance right a bad time yeah. and uh, three bear markets during that yeah. time frame, right? Three bear markets yeah. and, and starting at basically the worst time to, to start tracking. Uh, and you still got almost a 7% per year return. Yeah. Um, now, and I went one step further and I did an even worse period of time to measure performance, but the point is still that there's a decent positive return. But from, so an even worse measure is the 20, rough, just less than 20 year period, 19 and a half years as measured by September of 2000, right before, that was like the top of the tech boom, right before the tech bubble. So September of 2000, and then if we measure the S&P rate of return from then to March 24th of 2020, which thus oh. far has been the bottom of the COVID-19 market, the COVID bubble, I don't know. Oh, wait, I, there, bubble, I, 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 don't know. I found a different name, uh, coronavirus crash. Oh, I don't yeah. want to use the word crash, but okay, fine. All right, well, that, I didn't, that's, not my, that's, okay. that's not my name. That's just um, what, that's what came up when I looked it up. Oh, yeah. okay. You know, they um, love uh, the- So from nine, so from September 1, 2000, 19 and a half years, through March 24th of 2020, which again is a, 
it almost doesn't get worse than that in terms of 20 year periods of time to measure performance. S&P 500 still has a positive return four and a half percent. Nothing like super exciting. You're jumping for joy over that. But that's a positive return over like probably the worst 19 and a half year period you could measure performance from. And the point to all of that was that these are returns for people that are that are in the market. You have to be in the market to get these returns. And, you know, we could do, I could have done lots of measures of great times to measure performance. For example, 1119 to 123119, S&P was what, 32%? 30%, yeah. Something like that. Like, I mean, there's lots of fantastic times to measure performance, but but in order to almost, I don't know, test someone's tolerance for risk, you want to test those awful, you want to test your uh, emotional uh, well-being in the <laughs> awful times, right? So if you're a long-term investor, you're you know young, or you have a long retirement time horizon, and you have what 20 year periods of time to measure, like the worst one you could measure is what I just did, September of 00, uh, to March of 20. And, and we still have a positive four and a half percent return in the S and P 500. Yeah. So I know, I know we have those, uh, I'm in the market. Yeah. As part of our, you know, our, um, investment policy statements, you know, that we, you know, we show to clients and, you know, when we talk about, you know, what strategy we're going to employ with them and, and then we can show them historical data for that, for that, uh, strategy. Okay. Here, 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 here's the best, you know, 12 month return over the past, whatever. Here's the be- the worst 12 month return uh, over the past you know what what you know long time frame. Here is the the best you know three year return. Here is the worst three year return. You know et cetera et cetera. And just to kind of give people a kind of a flavor of what you know what these strategies have done historically on a best case and a worst case scenario, so that they can kind of say okay you know I, I you know that I can they can get a you know a sense of what it has done and what it potentially could do. Um, um, you know, going forward. And if, and if they look at those numbers and say, oh, if that were to happen again, I don't know if I could handle that. Um, then at least we, you know, we've kind of shown them, you know, what's, 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 what's possible. And, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a good thing to kind of test somebody's uh, risk tolerance. Right. And, 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 and f- see if it, if it, if it's a fit or not. Um, because, you know, ultimately, if they're not if they're not comfortable, you know, if we put in, put them into something, and and they, you know, even if we do our best job of trying to guide them through it and and um, you know, hand holding and everything like that, if they're not going to be able to stick with it, then then it, it doesn't make sense because you know they're going to end up hurt, you know, uh, you know, negatively impacting their return by perhaps, you know, getting out uh, at the wrong time. And, you know, that's ultimately, that's kind of our job is to put them into something that they're comfortable with and, and will stick with uh, because that's how they're going to, you know, earn, earn their return. Right. Um, so uh, again, on the lot, uh, along the lines of staying in the market. So there are, there are some, I think, so there are some research studies that have been done throughout uh, in the recent past um, regarding the difference between market returns and investor returns. 
So we found some research. I found a little bit of research from an outfit called um, Dalbar. And I think they're, I think they're just, I actually don't know. I think they're just a research outfit. I'm not sure if they're an advisory firm or just a research outfit, but they have, they have done some studies over time regarding the difference between market returns and investor returns. I think Morningstar has actually done some research on that. Can you hear my chair squeaking, by the way? It's really loud. Yes, we need some uh, WD-40. Remind me when I get home. Um, We got to oil this baby. Yep. Uh, All right. So, so I pulled, uh, I didn't have access to all the research at Dalbar. I know there's more recent research than this, but for example, um, they examined the Dalbar examined the 10 year period of time ending 1230, one of 15. So I, so, you know, one, one, 16, uh, 06 to 1230, one 15 in that 10 year period of time, the S and P 500 averaged a compound annual return of 7.31%. But their research study, and again, we uh, we should probably maybe grab a subscription and get some more details on this research study, for example, who they were polling and, st- and where they got their data and stuff like that. But their study indicated um, that investor behavior, in other words, uh, poor market timing, so people trying to get in and out at what they think is great time, uh, what they think they're going to be doing things that are helping their return, but really they're they're hurting their return over time. So their study indicated that poor market timing by investors led to the typical investor inter- return, excuse me, the typical investor to earn an average annual return of just 4.23%. So basically their study said for this 10 year, 10 year period of time, the market returned 7.3% per year and the average investor returned 4.23% per year. And that's not because of investment fees. That's because of um, people trying to, we're going to use that phrase, people trying to time the market. We're going to use that taboo phrase, but it's really just people thinking that, that, that they're going to protect themselves, but they're getting it wrong and they're actually hurting their returns. I mean, it, you know, they didn't return a negative 7% versus a positive 7%, but still they're hurting their return um, by a significant percentage in this study. Um, there was actually, uh, I also found some research from Morningstar. Um, uh, let's see, they do like annual investor return reports. Um, For example, Morningstar found that over the 10 years ending in 2013, uh, Morningstar said investors underperformed the funds that they owned by about two and a half percent per year. So a very, a very similar study. And I think those two outfits from the reading I was doing, those two outfits are measuring that data um, in different ways are coming at that uh, study from different angles. But but I, but in well, those two examples came to a very similar conclusion and that people are not staying, the average investor, I guess, or, or typically, or there's a lot of people, let's just say, that aren't staying put. They're not, they're not believing in that buy and hold strategy and ride out the market strategy. And they're trying to help themselves, of course, they're, they're, they're they're trying to help either their own return or their own sanity, of course, um, but end up hurting their returns um, by getting in out of getting in and out of the market at what they think is a great time, but ends up was poor timing. Um, so I just think that that's that's pretty interesting, and and there's been a lot of studies like that over time. Like I said, Kirk, we, maybe we should temporarily get a subscription to that Dalbar study because I'd be interested in reading some more of that and finding out like what their data sample was and all that. 
Yeah, I did look. I mean, I did look them up. Um, and yeah, basically, they're a you know just an independent um, you know auditor uh, oh, okay. performance tracker. Yeah, they they don't. Yeah, yeah. it's a research outfit. Okay. Yeah, just a research outfit. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. So we just have a few minutes left before the break, but I do want to get into some election specific stuff because there's been there's been a lot of information out there and articles, which is kind of cool about how markets have historically performed uh, in election years and whether uh, historically uh, markets have been better under Democratic presidents or Republican presidents. Actually, the data surprised me. Um, but there's been a lot of information out. Actually, we put out a piece to our clients um, on the topic of uh, markets during election years. And I pulled some information from a research outfit that we use regarding um, election year data and post-election year data. Um, which I think is great perspective. And, and basically, uh, I'll, maybe after the break, we'll give some detailed information. But um, I guess the, the, the long story short is that, yes, there's generally volatility in the markets uh, in, in election years, uh, but normally the years following uh, the election years um, are pretty good. So if you have um, a very short, like, you know, I, I think later in the show, I definitely want to get into um, your investment strategy and, and making sure that it's appropriate for your situ you, you and your situation so that you don't have to worry about the markets, right? And if you're invested appropriately, you shouldn't have to. Um, and I wanna, I wanna get into that, but, but basically like long story short, that if you're, if, if you're a long-term investor as defined by you have five, 10 or more years before you're relying on a certain chunk of money, you shouldn't have to worry about what's gonna happen in an election year because sure, we might have some downward volatility leading up to the election and after the election, but but historically speaking anyway, that the, the post-election years have been like just fine under many situations. And um, in fact, some pretty good returning years there. So, um, you know, it, how, the flip side of that is that if you're a short-term investor, by the way, I don't think there should be anything, I don't think short-term investors should even exist. I think if you need your money in a short period of time, you should not be an investor. You should have your money in something, uh, that's when you should have your money in cash or, or something stable, at least the money that you will need in that short period of time, six, 12, 18, even 24 months, I would say. Um, I don't think short-term investors should even be a thing. Um, or, you know, you shouldn't go into an investment thinking it's short term. Um, if you happen to go into an investment and it does really well in a short term and you, you know, and you say thank you and you take some profits and you get out, that's another thing. But going into something thinking I'm going to grow this and I, I need it in six months, I'm going to grow it by five, 10 percent in six. I mean, that shouldn't even exist. Uh, the, the, there's too much risk involved with that and markets are too unpredictable. But so after the break, I think we'll get into um, so I have just some specifics regarding election year and post-election year data, which is kind of cool and which presidents, you know, have outperformed, which, which presidents have been in, in office during, you know, the best performing market years and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of fun, but, um, we have to take a break, right? We do have music playing. Okay. So, started, uh, yep. you're listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed chatting this morning. Uh, this is like the most we've talked all week. My husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, we haven't chatted so much all week. Uh, we're just uh, going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.